Thank you for checking out our podcast here at Eastern Assembly of God Church in Baltimore, Maryland. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at www.easternassembly.org. Thank you so much, Pastor. If you'll give me a minute just to get settled. Can I, can I admit one thing to you? Uh, Pastor Chris did this the last time I, I came up. Uh, one, one of the scariest introductions as a speaker is, guess what? It's good. <laughs> Maybe next time let's go, like, there's an incredibly average message and then get your expectations low. And it's like, yeah, all right, the Lord's here. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, good morning. I'm super stoked to be with you, Pastor. Thank you so much, for real, for for letting me come up uh, and to share what the Lord has placed on my heart. Thank you for that trust. And I'm excited to share with you this morning. If you're watching online, I'm super glad that you are tuned in. I believe that even what I'm talking about today uh, pertains to you as well. If you've been kind of following along with us as a church, then you'll know we we just finished up a sermon series, right? We just finished up five weeks on a series that we called What About Monday? And uh, the whole premise of the series was, hey, we don't want to be a group of people that knows how to look like Jesus for about an hour and some change on a Sunday morning. We want to be a church that lives like Jesus Monday and Tuesday and throughout our week. We want the life of Jesus to be bursting through us anywhere and everywhere that we go. And today and next week, we're, we're kind of shifting gears here. We're done with that series, and we're really going to focus in on serving. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, Pastor Ed also has a message on that next week. Uh, we really want to hone in on this idea of serving, and I love that this is coming right on the heels of the What About Monday message because this is something that we 100% want to live out on a Sunday. Serving is such a huge part of what we do here in our gatherings, but at the same time, serving is meant to be something that spills out of us every day of the week. Amen? Amen. So I'm excited uh, this morning. Today's message is entitled Five for 5,000. And that's because we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 on nothing but five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, full disclosure here, I'll just be very straightforward with you. My goal as I speak to you today is to get you serving. Surprise. Okay, there it is. All right, you you don't have to wonder what I'm after. I just want to help you serve. It's not a condemnation message. It's not a guilt message. It's not a twist your arm message. It's help you understand how to take that next step. And if you're someone who's already serving, it's how can you make sure that you're serving in the healthiest way possible so that you can serve uh, with some longevity, right? And that you're not someone who's going to burn yourself out. That's the goal for today. So five for 5,000. We're looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is a story that we actually see in all four of the Gospels. We're going to look at Matthew's version of this. We're going to look at Matthew 14 primarily uh, for today's message. So here we go. We're going to start in Matthew 14, verse 13. The scriptures say... When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Continuing on in verse 15, it says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. 
Verse 18 says, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Verse 20 says this, they all ate. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, I would say this is probably one of the greatest miracles ever recorded in human history. And if you would disagree with me, uh, you probably couldn't disagree that at the very least, this is one of the most popular stories that you're going to hear about on a Sunday morning. You've undoubtedly heard countless sermons uh, of Jesus feeding the 5,000 before, and that's okay because you get another one today. Amen? Uh, and, And the reason for that is because as we look at it today, there's so many things, so many things that we can learn from this story, but today we just want to look at it for the purpose of how can we, God's people, capture God's heart for serving. That's our goal today, okay? And and, and so let's kind of review what just happens here. Basically what happens is Jesus and his disciples are traveling by boat. They arrive where they're going, and as they arrive, there is a crowd of thousands of people waiting for them, Jesus spends all day healing people, curing their diseases, and then evening comes, and evening brings with it the issue of dinner. And so Jesus makes the decision by the power of the Holy Spirit. He multiplies five loaves of bread and two fish so that there's enough food to feed the thousands of people that are there and then some. And I think even just in our initial reading together as, as, as the church, you might notice the fact that we can just see so much of Jesus' heart here. So much of Jesus' heart for people, the way that he cares people, or cares for people and loves people. And we also see that Jesus understands that through the power of the Holy Spirit, truly all things are possible. He's never phased. He's never worried. And what I want you to also understand, even as we read the story for the very first time today, is that Jesus is not interested in just showing off. He's not interested in just living in a way that his disciples would look at him and go, wow, that's really cool. As he models what it looks like to serve, he is simultaneously challenging his disciples to do the same. He's challenging his followers, those closest to him, to not just serve in a way that makes sense to them. That's just not going to cut it. Right? He's saying, I want you to do as I do. I want you to serve like me. And if you were to ask me this morning, what makes someone a good servant, right? I could probably ask you that, and I would get a, a lot of different answers, and they would all be pretty accurate, right? Someone who serves needs to be loving, needs to be humble, needs to be committed, right? Needs to be consistent, needs to be organized, you might say, all kinds of different things. But I think what I want to focus on more than anything today is the fact that there are two really essential components for the Christ-like servant that we can't ignore from this text. Two things that if you're here today and you were to be honest and you say, I'm really struggling when it comes to serving, I would wonder or I would wager that somehow you could connect that struggle back to one of these two things. I would say, if you were to ask me, when it comes to the Christ-like servant, that serving seems to be at the crossroads between compassion and faith. 
serving seems to be at this crossroads, this beautiful intersection where compassion meets faith. We need both. Yes, we talk about compassion all the time as a church, don't we? The people that we want to care for, the people that we want to care about, we do so out of compassion. Maybe you know people who are, who are really compassionate, right? They're, they're, they're bleeding hearts, right? These people amaze me because they're not fake when they love people. Like they really, really, really care about people from a genuine place. But a person full of compassion who doesn't also walk in faith is always going to be limited by what they can do in and in, in of themselves. They're always going to be limited by their own strength. This world, think about it, is full of compassionate people, people that don't even know the Lord, who operate in compassion, and, and we recognize them, and they win awards. But guess what? A person full of compassion who's also operating the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in faith, that person is powerful. And on the flip side, you might have the faith to move mountains, but if your heart is cold or hard towards your brother, towards your neighbor, that faith isn't going to translate to very much, is it? Serving is at this crossroads where compassion intersects with faith. We want to talk about both of those things today. We're going we're gonna to get real deep into both of those today, and we're going to start with compassion. Let's talk about compassion. And I think to understand compassion as we look at Matthew 14, uh, probably the most important step that we can take is to understand what is actually happening in the life of Jesus as we read this story. So if we look back at verse 13, this is the very first verse that we read. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, pause. So I hope, like if you've been coming to, to Sunday school, I hope that maybe your theologian brains started to like go off and you asked yourself when Jesus heard what, Right? Verse 13 is clearly building off of whatever would have happened previously in this text. And what happens at the beginning of Matthew 14 is we hear or we get the retelling of King Herod murdering John the Baptist. And so what happens is John the Baptist's disciples go, they collect his body, they tell Jesus what happens, and when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Listen, I know that when we read about Jesus 2,000 some odd years later, it's really easy to think of him as God because he is. And he's all powerful and he does incredible things that he almost seems impenetrable, untouchable. But he's fully man too. And so I want us to understand, to truly step into his mindset this morning, to understand that as he's going on this trip, this trip has purpose. If for nothing else, Jesus is actively avoiding people. He is actively trying to distance himself from people, not because he doesn't care about them, but because he understands his life is in danger. Because if there are those who would kill John the Baptist, the one whose ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus's even greater ministry, then there are those who are after Jesus as well. And Jesus knows that his time hasn't come yet. But maybe even on a deeper level, we can't miss the fact that Jesus on this boat, on this journey, is likely grieving the loss of somebody that he cares about. John the Baptist, for us, is a character. He's a historical figure. He really lived, but we don't really have a personal connection with him. So we may not like what happened to him, but it doesn't really hit us very hard. Jesus cares about him. Jesus knew him. 
right? We're not, we're not so far removed from the Christmas story that you might recall. John the Baptist is among the first, some would say the very first on earth to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as he leapt in his mother's womb when a pregnant Mary came into proximity with a pregnant Elizabeth. Jesus loved John the Baptist, and he died for Christ's sake. And so as he's on this journey, he, he, he is purposely trying to get some solitude, trying to get away from it all, trying to make sure that he's safe, trying to find some refreshing and some rest. And so imagine what it must have felt like to be on this boat only to realize that as you were journeying, a crowd of people heard where you were going, ran ahead of you so that as you pull up on shore, there are thousands of faces waiting for you, and they all want something from you. This is my nightmare. <laughs> I, this is my nightmare. As I become increasingly introverted as a human, I've accepted it. This is my nightmare. Like, like I don't know if you've ever just gotten a text from work when you were on vacation, right? Poor Miss Deb can't go anywhere <laughs> without hearing from us, right? This is like that, but 5,000 times worse. Which is, of course, why when Jesus arrives on land, his response is to yell at people and tell them to get away. No. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. He didn't have a sense of obligation. He didn't feel guilty. He wasn't reminded of his job description as the Messiah. He didn't think, well, this is obviously the quickest way to get them away from me is just to give them what they want. He had compassion on them. Mark adds this, this beautiful little detail, right, that he saw them, and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus' heart is so stirred to move towards them, understanding what's going on in their lives, understanding the hurt and the brokenness that they must be feeling, and understanding that he is the only answer for it. He moves, and he begins to heal their hurts. He begins to move in their lives because that's just who he is. Can I remind you today that that's just who he is? Listen, Everything, everything that Eastern Assembly of God does as a church is because of Jesus, period, okay? When you come in and we sing, it's because of Jesus. When you come in and there are people waving signs out on the parking lot, even though it's 20 degrees outside, it's because of Jesus. When we teach Sunday school in between services, it's not because we just want you to have to wake up a little bit earlier. It's because of Jesus. It's because when we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. He showed us compassion. He showed us love. He extended mercy our way so that when we were the ones on the shores hurting and broken and in need, he saw us and he moved towards us and he poured out compassion in our lives and we've never been the same. And we know here, we know that that compassion was not meant to be contained within us. It is meant to flow out of us any and every way. It's compassion. And that might sound good. That might make sense. But if we're also being honest, we might admit that sometimes in our hearts or in our minds, our response actually looks more like the response of the disciples. Let's look back at what they said in verse 15. 
evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Right? Send the crowds away so that they can eat. On paper, it's probably not the worst thing the disciples have ever said, right? We, we know that they get worse. Um, but we also want to understand some of the subtext here, right? They're saying, hey, 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 they're really hungry. We should let them go so they can eat dinner. But what they're really saying is what? We're really hungry. And it's, it's, it's been a long day, Jesus. Can we, just, can we just wrap this up and move it along? If you're like me, you actually do this all the time. If I'm at dinner, if I am over at a friend's house, and let's say I rode there with somebody else, I went, Rolanda, when the, when the evening gets long and I get tired, I don't just look at somebody, get up and walk away and go goodbye, nor do I look at them and say, I'm done, see you later. That feels awkward to me. So if I rode with Rolanda, I look at Rolanda and I go, you ready? Yeah. Right? I go to Rolanda, hey are, hey, are you ready? What am I really saying? I'm ready, Right? That's what I do. It's what the disciples are doing here because it's literally, it's literally the oldest trick in the book, okay? If that's you, there's therefore no condemnation in Jesus this morning, okay? It's the disciples' desire, right, that the people would go away. Why? Because they're hungry, because they're tired. And yeah, it, it, it kind of makes sense to us on a practical level, but it's also really sad when we think about it. You see, I think it's really sad that there are thousands of people in Jesus' presence, and they're the ones that aren't concerned about their own hunger. The ones who, who aren't Jesus' followers, the ones that don't get to hang out with him all the time, that don't get to see him face to face and walk with him daily, they're not the ones that are worried about their appetite. Are they hungry? Yes, because it has been all day. But they're not saying anything. Why? Because even though they are physically hungry, they are hungrier for Jesus. They understand whose presence they are in, and they want him more. So they're not saying boo, okay? Meanwhile, it's the disciples that want to come and, and, and end this. And you might even say from a cynical perspective, from a cynical perspective, well, guess what? They just want what they can get from Jesus. You would probably miss a meal if he was healing you too. And you're right, I would. But Luke tells us, first he healed them, and then he began to teach them about the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter why they came to him, he's got them now. And he's teaching them things that may end up changing their lives and more likely will end up saving their lives. And it's the disciples that are ready to wrap things up. I don't think the disciples don't love people, I believe that they do. I know that they're not perfect. I think it's more likely that what the disciples are tired, that they are, they are weary, that they themselves are a bit worn out. But I also think that maybe the disciples have gotten a little too familiar with Jesus. You see, because four or five years ago, crowds of hundreds or thousands of people was not an everyday thing, but now it is. When you live life with Jesus, crowds of people clamoring about him is a normal occurrence. It's just a part of life. Four or five years ago, miracles, signs, wonders, it wasn't a part of their daily lives, but it is now. And it's amazing how quickly we become accustomed to the wonder of Jesus. And I wonder if on this day, they have forgotten the magnitude of what it's like to meet him for the first time. 
I wonder if having him so nearby, they have forgotten the gravity of what it means to need him again. I wonder if today maybe the disciples see people more as an inconvenience and they don't understand the opportunity to the point where maybe today the disciples would rather just kind of come in, slip in, get a word, and slip out before the parking lot gets too crowded. I think that's sad. I also think it's sad because, honestly, just, just on a practical level, what the disciples are proposing here as a solution, it's not even possible. What's their idea? Their idea is what? Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Again, it makes sense, but not really. Because if they were to send people to the surrounding villages, those villages would have only had a couple hundred people, maybe a few thousand, right? So there's no way that they would have had enough food on hand to be able to serve a crowd of this size, especially when we take into account that the 5,000 figure that we quote only accounts for who? The men. We add in women. We add in children. We're easily at 10,000 people. Some would say 15 or even 20,000 people. And so what the disciples are proposing ultimately leaves people hungry, leaves people unsatisfied, leaves people wanting. I believe that even with the best of intentions, it is all too easy for us to get so accustomed to the Jesus that we know, to our own personal routine, that serving, that people become an inconvenience where we used to see opportunity. It's compassion that softens our hearts again. It's compassion that motivates us. It's not guilt. It's not the twist of your arm. It is the compassion that we receive from above that reminds me that, guess what? It might be my 100th Sunday, but it's somebody else's first Sunday. It's compassion that reminds me that even if I knew there wasn't a new face in the house today, it might be somebody else's 10,000th Sunday. They never stopped needing Jesus. And it's compassion that says, listen, if somebody will put themselves in position to experience the bread of life, I'm not going to hope that they'll come in, maybe get their fill, and if not, they can go out and the surrounding world is going to fulfill a need that I know only Jesus can. I'm not going to depend on the world for that. I'm going to do my part to say, I want to connect you with the bread of life. I want to connect you with the Jesus that I know. It takes compassion. And listen, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not the most naturally compassionate person, okay? I, I think much more uh, analytically or logically than I do emotionally. That's how God made me. I'm not ashamed of it. But that doesn't excuse me from compassion either. Can I tell you what, what, what makes compassion bloom in my heart? Is when I get alone with the Lord and, and I sit with him and I ask the Holy Spirit to remind me of the compassion that I've been shown time and time again. Can I tell you that it's, it's when I come down to pray and, and, and I'm face-to-face I'm -face with people in our church and I, and I get to see and hear their needs and I get to stand with them in prayer and I'm reminded that it's people and there's hurts and it's brokenness and it's not just people that are unsaved, it's people in our church today that need one another. 
is compassion. And luckily for us, Jesus is full of it. He's full of compassion, and he doesn't respond the way that the disciples would have responded. Instead, he says this. Jesus replied in verse 16, they do not need to go away. They're not an inconvenience to me. They're not the problem. You, my disciples, my followers, you give them something to eat. And you see, Jesus is now challenging their faith. Jesus makes the move to challenge their faith. The ones who have seen him turn water into wine, the ones who have watched him heal all the day long, the ones who even prior to this walked in the power of the Spirit themselves as they healed people and they cast out demons, Jesus goes, great, now I want you to have the faith to feed thousands. And what we see happen is this pattern that we experience all the time in our lives. We're about to see it happen, and it looks like this. We see this pattern happen all the time where God blesses us. The Bible tells us every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above. Amen. God blesses us. Then with whatever it is that we have, we have the choice as to whether we're going to do it our way or if we'll surrender to Jesus. Here's the crazy part. Upon that decision, Jesus then trusts us to play a part in what he's doing for the glory of God for our good, our benefit, so we can become more like him, and so that we would bless other people. This is what happens in salvation. God gives us life. He's the one who breathes life into us. He knits you together in your mother's womb. So God blesses us with life. But guess what? We can do life our way, which most of us have realized doesn't work. Or we can take our lives and say, Lord, I surrender to you. My life is yours. And because you're still here this morning, you know that when you make that decision, Jesus doesn't zap you into heaven. But instead, he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. But he also entrusts us with a mission to be a part of what he's doing. He was always doing it. He always had a plan, but now you get to be a part of it for the glory of God, for your own personal sanctification, that you would become more like him and so that you can bless the nations, that you would bless all of creation, that you would go and you would make disciples. This is a pattern. This, this is what we do with our money. God is our provider. We can do finances our way. We can give it to him. But guess what? Even when we decide to do money God's way, the Holy Spirit doesn't come in and start redistributing your funds, does he? No, now you get to be a steward for the kingdom of God. And this is what we see in verses 16 through 19. Go ahead and pull it up. Jesus replied, no, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Jesus says, bring them to me. Bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. He takes the loaves. He takes the fish. He looks up. He blesses it. He breaks it. And then he gives it to the disciples. And the disciples give them to the people. They put it in Jesus' hands. Jesus puts it back in their hands that they might be a blessing to others. This crowd of people doesn't care about the disciples. They never came for the disciples. They came for Jesus. And yet, Jesus makes the decision to meet some of their needs personally. He encounters them so that they're never going to be the same. And then he chooses to distribute other miracles through his servants. Jesus is always the one performing the miracles. 
but sometimes he chooses to distribute it through his disciples. Is it because he needs them? Does Jesus have hands? Yes. Does Jesus have legs? Yes. Jesus could go and do this. And, and I say that as a reminder because physically I think sometimes we feel like church is God's way of doing what he couldn't do. No. Anything that we do here on a Sunday, God could do it. Period. Anything that we do here throughout the week, throughout the year, God could do it. And he would do it so much better than us. And he would never grow tired. And yet he has entrusted us to carry out his missions. He, he has given us a part to play. And I think for us to, to not just understand that, but to walk that out, to say, no, I'm not going to be someone who just serves occasionally, but I want this, this lifestyle of being a servant, of being obedient to what God has entrusted me with, is a difficult thing to do because it requires faith. You see, faith we often think about in terms of the person that you want praying for you when you need that miracle. And that takes faith. It takes faith to pray for healing. It takes faith to pray for breakthrough. But it takes faith to serve. It takes faith to serve because it takes faith to not just know what you're called to do, but to actually walk in it. But listen, it also takes faith to understand who you don't have to be. It takes faith to understand that you don't have to be Jesus. As we look at this story, I think the temptation for us might be to look at Jesus and go, okay, that's what God is calling me to do. Mm -mm. Jesus isn't calling you to be him. He's going to be him all by himself. Our role as we read this story is not, I need to now be Jesus. No, I want to be the disciples, but I want to be the disciples he can trust. I want to be the ones that bring him the loaves and bring him the fish full of faith. You don't have to be Jesus. And I say that this morning because I believe that there are people that when you think about serving, it seems like this huge, all-encompassing or daunting thing. No one is asking you to be Jesus. But more specifically, I want to speak to the people in this room who, who I'm so grateful for because you have served so faithfully and so consistently for a long time. And what you do, a lot of it probably isn't even seen, and you're okay with that. I appreciate you, but I want to remind you that you don't have to be Jesus. If you're in a position right now where, where as you serve, you feel this pressure that everything rises and falls on your shoulders, you don't have to be Jesus. And, and please hear me. I'm not saying like you're being prideful or that you think you're the center or the superstar. No, 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 no. I'm saying I, I just want to take that pressure off of you. You don't have to hold it all together. Because after a certain amount of time, if we find ourselves trying to play a role that we were never built to play, it always ends with us burning out. And I can hear it, unfortunately, as people tell me, I just can't do this anymore. And I can hear the fact, oh, man, it just seems like you tried to serve in such an unhealthy way. Not out of bad intention, but you just took on a role that you were never asked by God to play. Can I share with you some signs that you might be unintentionally even trying to be Jesus right now? How about this? Do you fear that if you're not there, everything will fall apart? Because it's on you to hold it all together. Do you, uh, are you so busy 
serving each and every week or almost every week that it's actually a rarity for you to be able to come in and actually engage in service, actually enjoy what's happening here in the room? Have you been ignoring the Holy Spirit, maybe nudging you that it's time to take a break or that it's time to transition or do something different because you just genuinely have this fear that if I don't do it, nobody will. Last but not least, are you or have you been neglecting rest in your life? Listen, it it takes faith to know that you just can't be everything to everyone. You can't meet every need. It takes faith to know that there might be a lot of things that you can do, but what you need to focus on is what God has called you to do. It takes faith to understand that Jesus never expected his disciples to be able to multiply the food on their own. He never had that expectation of them. He just wanted them to have the faith and the power of the Holy Spirit and then the obedience to be willing to serve as the food is being multiplied. You don't have to be Jesus. Praise God for that. You don't have to be Jesus, but we are called to serve like Jesus. And that takes faith too. It takes faith to serve like Jesus. If, if you think back to what the, res, uh, the response of the disciples was, as Jesus said, hey, hey, they don't need to go anywhere. You feed them. Basically, their response was, with what? <laughs> right? We, we have five pieces of bread. We have two fish. What are you expecting us to do with this crowd of people? And I say that because I, I believe that maybe there's people here this morning, you might even be watching online, that as I'm talking, it makes a lot of sense. But there's this part of you that's going, I I get it, you want me to serve, but with what? Because I feel like I only have five loaves of time. I only have five loaves of energy. I only have uh, uh, two fishes of, of ability. And you just feel like what you have right now just isn't enough. Listen, I know that there's people here today uh, you're, you're in a bit of a, an extreme season. Maybe you just had a baby. You're walking through just a very a different season of life. Things are maybe very turbulent for you, and it's all that you can do to just hold on. Listen, hold on. That's all you need to do. This next part is not for you, okay? For the rest of us, right, we also have to be honest with ourselves. I rarely feel like I have 10 loaves of time. I rarely feel like I have 10 loaves of energy. And so we have to be honest with ourselves that if we're waiting for a season of life to spring up that has never happened, where all of a sudden we have all the time and all the energy in the world, and then we'll serve, we're going to be waiting for a really long time. Your job is not going to stop having expectations for you because Jesus has called you to serve. Your family is not going to stop needing you because Jesus called you to serve. But guess what? Jesus still calls you to serve in spite of those different things. And I believe that Jesus' response to you this morning, it's not that those things don't matter at all, but I believe his response to you this morning is the same as it was to his disciples. Bring it to me. Whatever you have, put it in my hands. Wayne, you can come on up. I want to be so clear this morning that I'm not asking you that you would look at your schedule and figure out how you could like squeeze in some serving so that you don't have to feel bad the next time that a message like this rolls around. That's not the point. I'm asking you 
to follow the pattern that we see play out throughout our lives so often that I would take my schedule, I would take my time, I would take my efforts, my abilities, my gifting, and I would simply surrender them to the Lord. And then once I understand whatever he's entrusted me with in this season, I'm just going to be obedient to that. Your five loaves of time in your own hands, you're right. It's not very much. Your five loaves of time in the hands of Jesus is more than enough. Your five loaves of energy, whatever you feel like is so insignificant that it could never make a difference in your hands, it can't. In Jesus' hands, it's more than enough. And I think the best part of it all, as we begin to close, we see happens in verse 20. They all ate. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You see, at the end of it all, when it's all said and done, the people that were most worried about what was going to happen to them are satisfied. And on top of that, God blesses them so that each and every one of them still gets to walk away with more than enough. And it's not because they were perfect, because they weren't. But they were willing to serve when Jesus called you to know that when you take the position of a servant, God still takes care of you. That when you are uh, willing to put your faith in God, that he's still faithful to you. And listen, Jesus, Jesus isn't going to call you to serve at the expense of your family. So you don't have to be afraid of that because Jesus calls you to serve your family first. Jesus isn't going to call you to serve and serve and serve and work yourself into the ground and never rest because it's not biblical. He's a good God. And we, when we remember who he is, the character of who he is, we can put our faith in him because he's going to take care of us. If you were to ask me, what do I feel like is, is the greatest hurdle that people struggle to get over when it comes to serving? It's one that you've heard before, but I still believe it's true. And it's that as we get to know Jesus, and as we come into church, everything is about what Jesus does for us. How he helps us, how he heals us, how he saves us and loves us. And that's so good. But at a certain point, we have to make the willing decision to say, now my primary focus is no longer what I get what I give. My number one primary focus is no longer, what are my needs? What do I want? But Lord, I just want to be a part of the story that you are writing. And to do that requires faith. Because I'm trusting that as I take a step of faith and I choose to serve my brothers and sisters, guess what? They're taking a step of faith too. And I don't have to worry about my needs all the time because they're going to serve me. It literally happened today, even in between services, that we would take the step towards serving one another. I don't have to worry about me all the time because you love me. And more than anything, because as I take the position of a servant, God doesn't care about me any less. He always loves me. He always sees me. And he will make sure that I have more than enough.
I believe that Eastern Assembly has this beautiful, beautiful, rich history of like literal generations of men and women who have just served each other, who have just loved one another so well, who have served our community. And I believe that we have the opportunity to continue to walk in that. But it means that we accept the call to serve, to walk in compassion and to walk by faith. It means that we understand I don't have to be Jesus, but I'm called to bring Jesus. I'm called to connect people to the bread of life. And however God is entrusting me to do that in this season, it may be big, it may be small. Whatever it is for you, just be obedient to that. I want to end just with a moment of prayer for you to reflect with the Lord. If you'll bow your heads. I believe that there are so many men and women in this room who, who love the Lord and yet maybe you, you may be struggling in this season as you serve or as you think about serving I want to leave a little bit of room for the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts Lord we thank you that you have so perfectly walked in compassion and that you have so so shown us compassion Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Have we grown numb to the hurting and the broken around us? Have we become so used to you that we forget the miraculous possibilities around us every day? sister who can just sense a struggle towards compassion in their hearts. Not that they would feel ashamed, but Lord, that we would bring that to you and say, Holy Spirit, would you soften my heart again? Remind me of the compassion you have shown me. Renew the joy of my salvation even now. Would you help us to have the faith to just let that go again?
morning, I just, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you before you go.